listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. I want us this morning to look at what are some things that stifle gratitude. I want to say this, the sermon's title is There's Not a Switch. How often we think about being grateful and, and having a heart full of gratitude, and we, we feel like we should be able just to flip it on. So like even maybe on Thanksgiving Day, you, kind of, you have a little mental pep talk of like, all right, today I'm going to be grateful, right? Today I'm going to be thankful. And, and maybe you, you sit down at the dinner table, and you, don't, you feel guilty because you don't feel as grateful as you think you should be. Or like as you're, you're going back to work tomorrow, you should be grateful you have a good job or you have a great school to go to. But so many of us are like, I got to go back to work, Right? What are those things that stifle gratitude? What are those things that stirred up? There's not a, there's not a switch. Like, I, you can't just like, oh, be grateful, here we go. Like, that's not how it works. You cultivate, you stir up. You, you could, if you think of a fire metaphor, you stoke gratitude. There are things that put the fire out and there are things that stoke it, that, that warm the flames of gratitude. So this morning, we're going to look at those things that, that hinder it. And then the goal is that, okay, if we know what hinders gratitude. How do we fight that? How do we stir it up? And I'm going to trust that there are at least one. I'm going to give you five. I'm going to trust that there's at least one of these that you and I can work on. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. God, we are so grateful for uh, your love for us. We're grateful for the opportunity to, to gather and, and to worship. But God, we know that we, we don't gravitate towards gratitude, that so often we are disappointed, we are frustrated or irritated in life. God, we know as your sons, as your daughters, that you expect, Expect us to be grateful and that we really do have so much to be grateful for. Lord, I do believe as believers, our heart's desire is to be full of gratitude. Would you, would you show us how to do that this morning? Lord, would you show us some of the habits, some of the patterns of our culture, but even of our fallen nature that hinder gratitude in our lives? I'm gonna ask you right now with your, your head bowed and eyes so closed, just ask the Lord to speak to you this morning and more specifically, ask him to show you those things in your life that are hindering gratitude, that are stifling gratitude. God, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Lord, would you open our hearts for what you have this morning? In your name we pray, amen. So first one, first problem, first pattern or habit or thing, characteristic of our lives that, that hinders gratitude is this. Number one, we are nearsighted. 
We're nearsighted. What do I mean by that? It means that we can see right what's right in front of us, but it's harder to see beyond to the good. So we, we often see the good, the pleasurable thing that's right in front, in front of us, but it is difficult for us to see where that good, where that pleasurable thing is coming from, where it originated. And if you can't see where the good in your life is coming from, you're not gonna know to who or to what to be grateful for, Right? Uh, to reference what we've already been studying this, this fall in the book of James. I'm going to just read it briefly. This is James chapter 1. You're welcome to turn there. I'm going to be kind of all over this morning uh, in our approach this morning. But this is James 1, 17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So every good thing comes from where? Not a trick question. Yeah, it comes from above. It comes from God, right? I love what Paul David Tripp says, kind of related to Thanksgiving. He says, if all God wanted was to sustain us, he could provide our Thanksgiving meal in a tasteless gray pill. That sounds disgusting. (laughs) But that's not his design. He unleashed his creativity and glory on our diet so we can consume an almost endless variety of smells, taste, colors, and textures. Amen, right? God has created the world in such a way that we get to enjoy and delight in his pleasures. But the purpose is not just so that we'll enjoy it. No, the purpose is that they point us back to God. So if I'm nearsighted, if I only see the pleasurable thing in front of me, but can't see that that pleasure, that that gift is from a good giver, then I'm not gonna be grateful. You're tracking with that? Like if I think, oh, it's just, it's just a good steak for the sake of a good steak, I, I'm missing out. That, that sizzling hot steak is a reminder that God is good and he cares for me. The smell of, I know it's maybe been a, a month or two for us now, but the smell of fresh cut grass should be a reminder of God's goodness. Sitting around the family so sorry, sitting around the table, eating and enjoying laughter with your family. Enjoy that moment. Let it remind you that fellowship is a gift from God. Hearing your skis or your snowboard cut through the snow. Isn't that a great sound? That, that cutting sound? That, that, that is a pleasurable gift from God that should remind you that pleasure is God's idea. And he delights in you, delighting in him. We go on and on of the pleasures of the joys that God gives. But if you only see the pleasure and don't look through the pleasure back to God, it's not gonna stir gratitude in your heart. God's calling us to enjoy his good things, to revel in them, but then also to see what they reveal about him, right? So how does, this, how does this joy, how does this gift, how does it point me back to God and what does it reveal to me about God and his nature and his love and his care and his concern for me? When you're nearsighted, when you only see the gift and not the giver, it's hard to be grateful. Are you nearsighted or are you God-sided? Do you just revel in the fun and the, and the gifts of life, which those are good things, but or do you revel, but also look back to see how they reveal God's goodness to you? 
Are you nearsighted or are you God-sided? I think one of the reasons we're, we're nearsighted and it's hard for us to see past the gift and see the giver and God's goodness is because we're so stinking busy. Here's the second point. The second thing that hinders gratitude. Number two, we never stop. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I was uh, sitting up with our uh, high school ministry a couple weeks ago in Austin. Dameron, our high school pastor, was teaching him. He pointed out that when you ask people how they're doing, probably the most common thing you hear is, oh, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm just busy, right? How often do we say that? And sometimes we wear like a badge of honor. Oh, I'm just so tired. Yeah, you should look up to me because I'm tired. Like what, what is wrong with us, right? Or like that we think the more busy we are, the more spiritual we are. We never, ever stop. Here's the reality. Busyness is like a wet blanket on the embers of gratitude. Like, you're not gonna grow and stoke and fan into flame gratitude if you're just busy, 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 busy on the go and never stop. Do you know that stopping, slowing down is actual, actually a biblical concept? Like, you're not being more spiritual, you're not being more godly the busier you are. If you, if you never stop and slow down, it actually shows you're, you're not depending on God. Read a couple passages to you. Uh, you're, feel free to, to turn to them or write them down. I'm going to um, address them pretty quickly. This is from Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy, a day of rest, a day to cease from your labors, from your toil, from your work. See, when, when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and gave them the Sabbath, it was a reminder that you're no longer slaves, but you are sons and daughters. See, if you're a slave, you never have the option to rest. When you are a son or a daughter of the king, you get to rest. When you never stop working, when you never rest and care for your soul, it's like you're living as though you're not a son or a daughter of the king. God is calling you to slow down and, and to rest. I love what Jesus says in Mark 2, 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath rest is a gift. We often think of like, oh yeah, Sabbath, I'm supposed to rest and slow down. Oh, like it's an interruption to our schedule. And really it's God saying, here's this gift to slow down and rest and remember God's goodness and favor and the fact that he takes care of you. Jesus. Was anyone more busy than Jesus? Did anyone have a more important calling on their life than Jesus? It's not a true question. <laughs> no, the savior of the world. Like pretty important mission. And Jesus took rest. If you read the gospels, frequently he got away to just be alone. Or his disciples will come and, and, and find him. Hey, the masses are looking for you. All these people are looking for you. And Jesus says, 
Yeah, I just needed some time to spend in prayer. See, some time to slow down and be alone and, and be with my heavenly father. Rest, Sabbath. Think about Psalm 23. I'm gonna turn there and read that one. If you haven't picked up the past few weeks, I really like Psalm 23. <laughs> it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me, O rod and your staff. They comfort me. What a beautiful picture of rest, right? The shepherd leads you to a quiet place to restore your soul to rest to slow down. How many of us, Jesus is calling us to slow down and rest, and we're just like, Jesus, uh, not right now. I know you're trying to get me to sit down. I got stuff to do. And he's like, hey, would you come and just restore your soul and lay down? I'm like, Jesus, that sounds really good, but I need to go make this call. I need to go do this. And he's like, shh, little sheep, be still. I think I'm telling this story right. Um, Pastor David our senior pastor and Danny Henderson, one of our executive pastors, used to live uh, beside each other, near each other. And I think, uh, tell me if I got this wrong, Amy or Matt, that one time Danny tried to, uh, he had a little project or a little um, experiment to try to tame a prairie dog. <laughs> and made some news to Matt. Pastor David was up on his house uh, putting up Christmas lights and looked down and Danny, Brother Danny had a prairie dog on the leash and that prairie dog would just run everywhere, right? Like it, it didn't work out real well. I think that's a picture of some of us in our lives, right? God is trying to calm us down, to call us into rest and we're just running everywhere, right? Like a prairie dog on the leash and he's going, shh, be still, calm down. But what do rest and gratitude have to do with each other? If you never rest, it actually shows the, the spirit of pride that you, you feel like you're keeping everything going and everything is dependent on you. And listen, if you're the one keeping everything going and, and you're holding the world together and your family together and your life together, then why would you be grateful, right? Like if it's all me and I got it all together, well then who am I gonna be grateful for? No, when you, when you rest, it's a reminder to your soul that God is in control and you're not. It's a reminder to, to your spirit that, that God is good and that you are flawed, but he holds the world in his hands. Part of the problem we're not grateful is we, we, we never stop. Maybe a, a picture that would be helpful for you, is helpful for me is think about someone in a whitewater raft who's just paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling. And they feel like if, if, they, if they don't, if they stop paddling, they're gonna quit quit going on streams. So they keep paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling. And finally, the guy would say, hey, like, I'm gonna call some, some strokes of when you need to paddle on the left side or the right side, but the river is carrying you. Like, the reason you're going fast is not because you're really strong at paddling. No, you're going fast because the river is moving fast, right? How many of us in our lives, we feel like I gotta keep making progress. I gotta keep making momentum. I can't stop because I'm the one carrying myself. And actually, we need to remember that God is the one carrying us along, and he just invites us into the process to, to join him. But it's his power, it's his strength, it's his wisdom that is moving us and, and giving us progress in life. See, you can put the paddle down and rest in the power, the strength, the current 
of God carrying you. You can stop. You can rest. See, Sabbath is not about just taking a nap. It could be about taking a nap, but it's about resting from the work that weighs and wears on your soul and doing things that restore your soul. So that could be a whole other sermon, but like Sabbath is about just stopping and delighting in God and delighting, delighting in his good gifts, remembering him. So like, if you're like me, the idea of, of just sitting and doing nothing all day, that stresses me out, right? But the idea of going on a walk with my wife and kids and our dog, that sounds awesome, right? That, that, that restores my soul. Do the things that bring life and, and not just wear and weigh on your soul. So two things so far that stifle. We never stop and we're nearsighted. What's the third? We drift toward anxiety. We drift toward anxiety. This, this may sound funny, but I think if you'll chew on it for a second, you'll, you'll track with me or you'll agree with me. I think so many of us in our culture, we, we, it's almost like we like being anxious. You would never say that. What, what are your hobbies? I love being anxious. <laughs> but the reality is so many of us, we, our, our conversations and our, and our thought patterns reveal that we're kind of addicted to being stirred up about stuff. If, if we weren't, why would, if, if, if that wasn't true, then why do we always feel like we have to check the news 24-7? Like, really nothing new has happened. The world is just broken and kind of chaotic. That's what's happened, right? Like, I often check the news expecting some good news, and that, I don't think that ever happens. Like, when's the last time I checked the news and was like, man, things are great. Like, no, we check it because we like that little, that little bump of, oh man, there's, there's drama, there's stuff going on. Or you scroll through social media and you're looking for things to be nervous or upset about. We're, we're addicted to anxiety, to, to worry, to stress. We, we, we drift that way. I think so many of us, if we're not hyped up about something and stressed about something and wanting to talk to somebody about our problems, and man, I gotta, like, then we, we go and look for something to be upset about or stressed about. Turn to, if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians four, I'm gonna look at verses, uh, start in verse six. He says, don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. Oh, wait, wait a second. Like, surely there's some things God wants me to worry about. Surely there's some things he wants me to, to get hyped up about. Surely there's some things he wants me to be anxious and stress over. <laughs> Wrong. Don't worry about anything. Yeah, but no, no buts. <laughs> don't worry don't get anxious over anything. There's no situation in your life. There's no relationship that God says, yes, I want you to stress out over that. Yes, I want you to, to throw logs on the worry fire over that. No, be anxious about nothing, but rather in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request 
to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to keep reading. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. He gives us two options. Or he's revealing two options. You can be anxious about stuff, which is what we drift toward, or you can go to God in prayer. How many of us, we're not grateful because we're just sitting in this unending, or sitting under this unending cloud of worry and anxiety. And here's the reality. Anxiety and gratitude are directly opposed to each other. It's hard to worry and stress and be anxious about things, but also be grateful. They can't exist in the same sentence. It's not gonna work. So it says, you've got to put down worry and stress and and stirring that fire and instead go stir the fire of gratitude by praying, by going and talking to the Lord. And he says, make your prayers with thanksgiving, right? Going to God with, with gratitude. Here's the reality. The very nature of prayer stirs gratitude. Because when you go to God in prayer, you're going... With first, if you're praying, you're going with the understanding that God hears you. Think about that. The God of the universe sitting on his throne, he hears all of our prayers. My kids recently have been asking like, well, how does he hear all of us? I don't know, he does, okay? I can't explain that one. It's okay to not know everything. He hears every single one of us. No prayer is too small. I'm grateful for that, aren't you? He hears me. When I go to God in prayer, how does it stir gratitude? Because just the very nature of going to God and and, and knowing he hears me reminds me that he cares. How often you're going through a problem, something is stirring up anxiety in you, and you just need someone to care, someone to give a rip. God cares. When you pray and cast your cares on him, that automatically stirs gratitude because you're recognizing not only does the God of the universe hear me, he, he cares about me. And a third thing I would say, why prayer stirs gratitude and why we can go to God praying with thanksgiving is because he's the one that can actually do something about your problems, right? Like we, we like to think that we control things. Y'all, we control nothing, <laughs> Like a great way to start the day off as a lunatic is to think you're in charge of things. To think that you have control over something. That you should, we should laugh at that, right? We, we wake up with this sense of, I, I'm in control, I'm gonna do these things. We control nothing. God controls everything. The power is in his hands to do whatever he pleases for his glory and for our good. So, I go to him with my problems, with my worries, with my concerns, and I go with gratitude. God, thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you're big enough. You're strong enough. You're good enough to actually do something about the things that are stressing me out. See, sometimes we we drift toward anxiety when those problems come up and God is calling us to instead of drift toward anxiety, to be intentional, to go to him in prayer. 
Grateful prayers create grateful people. Are you pursuing anxiety or are you pursuing the Lord? We struggle with gratitude because we're nearsighted. We only see what's in front of us because we never stop. Because we drift toward anxiety rather than prayer. And fourthly, we, we struggle with gratitude because we're picky. Anybody a picky eater at Thanksgiving? No judgment. It's all good. <laughs> we're picky. What do I mean by that? All of us have a particular view of what we think our lives should look like, don't we? We, we? we have our own idea of how our lives are going to play out. And, and, and the reality is, we wouldn't admit this, especially in church, right? But the reality is, when things don't go our way, we get a little ticked off at God. When, when our life doesn't look like we thought it would look like, we think God's abandoned us, and where did he go? We're picky. We, we, we tend to be closed-handed about, okay, well, I'm going to trust. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise. I'm going to follow God. Well, my life looks like this, but, but if it doesn't go how I want it, then I don't know, God. I'm going to be upset with you. We're picky. You know, the reality is like God's people have always struggled with this. Think about the Israelites. God set them free from Egypt. They're slowly, yes, but they're making their way toward the promised land and they're grumbling. They're complaining. God, where's the food? Which, I mean, I, I, I might've been one of those people, right? <laughs> or I don't know about Moses. I don't know if we can trust his leadership. Or, you know, we, we had it better in Egypt. Moses, maybe we should go back to Egypt. They were complaining because it wasn't looking exactly what they thought it would look like and it was taking longer than they thought it would take. The things sometimes in life take longer than you want them to. Like, I gotta go to the DMV this Friday and I'm worried about how long it's gonna take. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes things take longer than, than we anticipate and we, we grumble. But here's the reality. Just because your life doesn't look like you thought it should, it doesn't mean God isn't working. I think about, to go back to the, the example from, from Exodus and the Israelites, Think about all the plagues that they saw God do to set them free. God used those plagues to set them free. Think about God parting the Red Sea, then leading them with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day through the wilderness. God giving them manna, providing for their, for their dietary needs, giving them food to eat. God was doing incredible, wonderful, miraculous things, but it wasn't what they were expecting, so we're going to complain about it, right? It'd be real easy to judge them, but y'all, we do the same thing all the time, don't we? Uh, life doesn't look exactly how I hoped it would. God's not working in the exact way I wanted him to or in the time frame I thought he would, so I'm going to complain about it. You, you can't be picky and be grateful. Those don't go together. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything. What is God's will for my life? He just told you. Give thanks in everything. 
That's different than being picky. Well, God, I'm going to follow you. I'll, I'll praise you when life goes this way, when it looks this way. No, in everything, we're called to give thanks. Are you missing out? Are you being blind to God's good provision in your life because you're being picky? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you keep your heart turned toward the good you expected, the good you got will become bitter. If you keep your heart turned toward the good you expected, the good you got will become bitter. So here's a picture there. God's giving you good things in your life. But if you stay closed-handed and yeah, but I wanted my life to look like this. God, why aren't you doing this? You're going to grow bitter and ungrateful toward the good things God is already or has done, is doing, and will do in your life. We struggle with gratitude because we're picky. And God's invitation is to, to instead of being closed-handed about, this is how my life should look, to be open-handed and say, God, I'm going to trust that you're good, that you're faithful, that you're kind in all that you do. And in every season, as First Thessalonians says, I, I'm going to give thanks. So when you approach life that way, less picky and more open-handed, I think the good that you already got becomes, in, like it's already beautiful, but you begin to see it for what it is, is beautiful. Yes, maybe not what I expected, but man, God is good. Man, God has been faithful. Open-handed, I'm gonna trust that the Lord is trustworthy. It's interesting if you think about the context of, of 1 Thessalonians 5. It's in the context of the fact that Jesus is reigning, that he's coming again, and that he's gonna finish what he started in you. Like the, the work he began in you, he's going to bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And what he's referring to there, like if I could just give one word, he's referring to the gospel. That we can give thanks in every season because, because Jesus is really good and he saved us and he's coming again. He's gonna make all things new. But we, we forget that all too often. Here's, here's the fifth and final thing I think that stifles gratitude in our lives. Number five, we forget the gospel. We forget the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to, to Psalm 103. Uh, this may be perhaps the, the most important way you could, that we, that we fail to stoke gratitude in our lives. And if we could turn this around, I think it changes everything. Psalm 103. It says, my soul bless the Lord and all that is in with, within me. Bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. So what are the benefits that God gives us. What is the good that comes from being a son or a daughter of the king? Verse three, it says, he forgives all your iniquity. Amen. If you know God, if you are in God through, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, you've trusted the sacrifice of Jesus, then all of your iniquity, all of your sin has been forgiven and God looks at you as though you've lived the life of Jesus, which 
hello, you haven't lived the life of Jesus, have you? How amazing, how good, that, how, how mind-blowing that God looks at me and treats me as though I haven't sinned. He looks at me and sees the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, amen? So it's the great exchange that, that God bore all, that Jesus bore all my sin, all my shame, all my disgusting iniquity on the cross and places on me his righteousness. That Jesus having lived the perfect relationship with, with his father and the perfect relationship with mankind, he bestows that on me. He forgives all my iniquity. He heals all your diseases. You say, well, wait, I have, like, we just listed some people that died in our church from diseases. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, there's a, there is coming a day where all of our diseases will be healed. Amen? Once and forevermore. We know that's true. He says, he redeems your life from the pit. We were on our way to hell, but Christ has brought us up from the pit through his blood. That's why we sang about the wonderful, amazing blood of Jesus earlier, because he redeems our life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. If you're confused, like, what is it talking about? Who reveals his way to Moses? This is, he's quoting what God told Moses in the Pentateuch, that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or paid us according to our iniquities. Because of the cross of Jesus, you get to experience the compassionate and gracious heart of God. That he doesn't deal with you as your sins deserve. What do my sins deserve? Romans tells us they deserve death and hell and separation from God. But because of Jesus, you get relationship with God for eternity. Amen? Like, how can we not be grateful for what Christ has done? He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, which last we checked is pretty high. <laughs> so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, which is pretty far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made, he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. He knows that we cannot save ourselves. We are broken, fallen, sinful humans who, who can't save ourselves. So Jesus came to do what we could not do and save us, amen? To remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. You can't have a grasp of the gospel and remain ungrateful. Like when you, when you begin to even just get a glimpse of God's love toward you displayed on the cross of Jesus that will always result in a growth in gratitude. Like next time you're struggling with ungra being ungrateful, yeah, there's no light switch. You can't just go flip, flip the light switch, but probably the closest thing to flipping the light switch of gratitude is, is remembering the gospel by stoking the fire of the gospel remembering God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy towards you. I don't have to live a life of trying to 
earn God's love, but no, I live a life knowing I'm loved through the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. I, I want to ask you, which, which one of those five is, is stifling gratitude in your life? Like, if like, it's all of them. Hey, that's fair. God loves an honest heart, right? Like, which one of those do you need to, to, to work through? to work towards gratitude, to cultivate gratitude. Like which one of those five could you begin to address like even today that would begin to shift you toward more, a more grateful heart so that this time next year, you're more full of gratitude than you are now. If you got on a plane, James Clear in Atomic Habits points this out. If you got on a plane in LA and... We're headed to D.C., but the pilot decided to just uh, change the directions by three degrees, just three degrees, but the length of going from L.A. to the eastern coast, you'd end up, instead of D.C., you'd end up in New York City just by changing it three degrees. I'm going to tell you that. I think stoking the fire of gratitude by, by looking at these five different things, they don't automatically immediately give this the result of, no, nah, I'm grateful but they change your trajectory, right? You begin to remember the gospel. You remember, you begin to, to slow down a little bit. You begin to look, instead of being nearsighted, but to look, to, to be God-sided, you begin to choose prayer over anxiety. You begin to be open-handed with what God gives you instead of picky and here's how it has to be. You begin to change the trajectory of gratitude in your heart. How can you change the trajectory by leaning into one of these five things. In the spirit of uh, fellowship and community, and because it's Thanksgiving, we don't have small groups, so we can change it up. I want to do this just briefly. No one has to do this. No one's on the spot. I'm not, I'm not going to be watching. But I want to encourage you, or I'm going to ask you, um, to just kind of group up with those around you. Don't get a massive group, because no then everyone can't share. Maybe with your family or friends, just five or six around you. Less of that if you want. But I want you to share which one of these five do you think like, God is stirring on your heart this morning? Which one of these five would you say, yeah, I've been struggling with that. I need to repent of that and I need to, to, to turn the trajectory there. Does that make sense what I'm asking you to do? Does that make sense? I think so, maybe. Okay, thank you, thank you, Lee. All right, yeah. So go ahead, group up. I'm gonna give you like two or three minutes to share and to pray together. Then we're going to close with a song. Go ahead and do that right now. Encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 